but let's begin. So thank you again for joining us today as we look at uh, one of the biggest questions in the Christian faith, uh, the question of, am I really saved? And we got into this subject a little bit back in our small catechism study. And uh, when we covered the second article of the creed, and you can uh, look into that today, we're going to go a little bit more in depth. We're just in the first true session of our study on the Augsburg Confession, if you're wondering what is the Augsburg Confession, I would point you back to our previous uh, lesson where basically we just talked about the history of this important document. Uh, to give you just a quick uh, insight into what this is and, and what the Augsburg Confession is about, um, it was a document produced in 1530 by Martin Luther's right-hand man, Philip Melanchthon. And this document was presented at the Diet of Augsburg, which was a gathering of church officials, uh, reformers, uh, government officials, and the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire himself, Charles V. And uh, this document was uh, presented as an explanation um, of what all this Reformation stuff was about. It was um, a, a way to sort of demonstrate what Lutheran teaching or what would become known as Lutheran teaching really was. And so this was um, uh, hopefully a, an attempt to provide clarity um, uh, about the Reformation. And so this Augsburg Confession is a document that uh, also um, really explains the core beliefs of the Lutheran Church. The Small Catechism does that as well, but the Augsburg Confession is a little bit more thorough and it covers a lot more topics. And as I should always know, because I'm constantly aware of this, um, when we're looking at a document like this, it's we should understand it's a confessional document. We don't hold it on the same level as, as scripture, but we do see it as a good exposition on scripture or a good a document that demonstrates for us what scripture actually teaches. So it's a helpful document. Uh, it's not on the same level as, as the Bible, but at the same time, if you're really wondering, well, what is it, what are the Lutherans about? What are these confessional Lutherans about, which is uh, what we are. We're, we're a confessional Lutheran church. Um, then you can dive into the Augsburg confession and you can get your explanation. Uh, that's one way of doing it. So anyhow, uh, the, Augsburg Confession, we're looking at the fourth article of the Augsburg Confession, which is about justification. And you're thinking maybe, well, uh, Pastor, you said this is our first true study. Why are we starting at number four? Well, number four is one of the most important topics uh, in all of Christianity. It's the topic of salvation, or uh, it's titled justification. In other words, our standing before God. This, this article explains how we know where we stand with God, how God views us, whether he views us as wicked and condemnable or just and saved, right? So before this, though, uh, the first three articles of the Augsburg Confession are not um, uh, something that the Catholic Church really uh, cared to dispute over. For example, article number three explains uh, Jesus, um, describing him as the son of God, fully God and fully man. Article number two is about original sin. And article number one uh, explains the Trinity. Um, and so these are things that were not in contention, not in dispute in the days of the Reformation. Uh, but when it comes down to how we are saved and how we know we are saved, oh, that was the biggest battle there was. So we're going to be looking at the Augsburg Confession, Article 4, uh, Justification. And to back that up, we're going to be looking also at another document 
called the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And when we hear apology, we might think that um, the reformers said they were sorry or something like that. Uh, apology is more like apologetics, defense of um, their faith. So the Apology of the Augsburg Confession was a defense um, that uh, Philip Melanchthon put out response to the Catholic criticism of the Augsburg Confession. So you have the Augsburg Confession that simply states uh, beliefs. The apology of the Augsburg Confession is a defense of those beliefs. And speaking of defense, uh, as I was reading over both the Augsburg Confession and the apology of the confession, I, I realized that what I was reading was kind of um, like a shield um, that uh, Melanchthon gives us. It's a shield, it's a defense because we're constantly called uh, to defend our, our belief that Christ saves us by faith alone through grace alone. And you might be wondering, well, I haven't gotten into re any religious debates lately. Why am I called to defend that? And you might every now and then meet somebody um, who believes differently from you, and you'll need to be able to clearly explain uh, why you believe we're saved by great one apart from works. And this is really helpful for that. But really where I was going with this idea of looking at this article on justification and the defense of this article and the apology is that we oftentimes have to defend this belief from ourselves. Uh, what happens is that we state that we are saved by grace alone. We say it um, and uh on occasion, we even rejoice over it, but that old sinful nature, that old Adam is always trying to undermine this article. Uh, so we have the spiritual warfare, and if you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian long enough, you you know what I mean, but, but our, our sinful nature is working against the spirit of Christ in us, and one of the chief ways it does it is to undermine the fact that we are saved by grace alone, either by pumping us up with our own sense of self-righteousness, like we don't need Jesus as much as other people do, um, or or um, this is accomplished by uh, completely deflating us and saying, man, uh, you have sinned way too much to receive God's grace. So this isn't helped. Um, this message that we have to wrestle against, this, this sneaky, sinful nature and all of its messages that are always trying to undermine our salvation, um, this isn't helped when we look out in the world. So we're really going to begin here today by looking at three different major views um, on uh, justification. And these major views, you can walk into a church and you can uh, hear these views taught. Uh, so these are real world things. It's not theory. We're going to talk about some big words. But if you saw a video titled Augsburg Confession, then I guess you're not intimidated or scared by big words. So uh, <laughs> I should probably uh, not worry about that so much. Uh, but we'll explain things and we'll go slow. Um, but we're going to talk about uh, four big terms um, or three. I'm sorry, three different major views on justification or salvation and then we're going to actually look at the Lutheran view um, for the rest of our time here. So, uh, first of all, uh, there is the Catholic view. Um, and this, um, this view, of course, is, has a long history. It's hard to summarize uh, a, 
a belief system that's as old as the Catholic Church in just a few short sentences. Um, but here we go. The Catholic view is that you are saved by grace alone initially, that when you come to faith and receive the forgiveness of your sins, that's your launching point. Uh, that is something that Jesus does completely on his own. There's no credit uh, on the part of the sinner uh, when it comes to that. But then uh, after we have received God's grace, there we must uh, cooperate um, with God, must continue to pursue uh, good works in order to remain saved. Okay, so, um, so God gets you started but then you have to start doing your part immediately. All right. Um, and so what's, what's oftentimes cited in defense of this is um, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, where it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through, through faith apart from works so that no one can boast, right? And the Lutherans, um, we love those verses. But then they'll quickly point out verse 10, where it says that you are God's uh, workmanship, uh, created uh, in advance to do good work. So um, I'll ha I have the Bible verse up here. So we'll go ahead and just check that out real quick. Uh, I forgot that it had that I had already selected that one to be brought up. So <laughs> I started talking about it and got ahead of myself. So here we go. I hop over here. You're going to see me looking at me. Crazy. All right. Now, two verse ten. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So uh, the Catholic teaching on this verse is, is that, yes, you're initially saved by grace. Uh, good for you. Uh, Jesus has done all that. But now you are uh, required to do good works in order to um, maintain your salvation. All right. Um, and so one big question, you know, I, I think that comes from that eventually um, well, it might seem logical. Um, one thing that would come up is how do I know if I've cooperated enough? Like, you know, cause I'm still gonna be wrestling with sin. Uh, that doesn't really go away. And the Catholic church doesn't teach that it goes away either. So we are in agreement on that. But if I have received this initial dose of grace, um, and then I go about my life, how will I ever know if I've cooperated enough um, in order to be saved. And I think there's great uncertainty here uh, when it comes to this. And I've, I've met people that have um, grown up in the Catholic church and they have shared the same kind of uncertainty. Uh, how can we know if we've ever cooperated enough to be saved? If, co if my cooperation is needed, um, how can I know that I'm doing enough? And for the right reasons. Maybe it's selfish. I just want to be saved. And so I cooperate just to get saved. And you can see the kind of rabbit hole that can develop uh, with this. Um, so that's the Catholic view. We'll look at the um, another view that's typically found um, in Baptist churches. Um, and this is one of uh, decision theology where, again, in order to receive this forgiveness um, from Jesus, you have to... Um, you have to decide to follow him. Some will say that, although some churches have backed away from that, which is really good. Um, but uh, there's still this teaching that you have to, you know, surrender everything over to Jesus. Um, and uh, so uh, in a way, sort of this teaching stands at the gates of salvation and says, well, um, not, you know, have, have you really committed your whole self to Jesus? And uh, if you should ever doubt your salvation, then you might need to get baptized again. 
um, or get baptized again or get baptized again. Um, uh, you know, as long as you kill, still continue to struggle. Um, and so I've got a message from, <laughs> from my wife that just popped up here over Facebook, going to close that down. And so, um, I think she was sharing something cute that my kids did. Um, so if you're listening to this on the podcast, this must be a really strange point in the podcast. I live for this. Um, so <laughs> anyhow, um, so they stand at the gates of salvation and kind of ask, you know, um, Again, are you saved? Um, are you really, really saved? Have you gotten saved? Um, and that question just kind of circle, circulates. This is different from the Catholic view because you can have full assurance that you were that you have received God's grace and mercy, and that you have, were at least once saved, um, you know, through your baptism and whatnot. But the Baptist Church is saying no baptism, no assurance until you're sure that you're really committed to Jesus. Um, and so that that becomes again another big rabbit hole um where you know yeah i thought i was but then i realized that i still had some of these sins in my life that i didn't realize were sins and kind of didn't get those worked out so i don't know if i ever actually believed and so you can see how that goes um finally there's a calvinist view um which comes uh which you'll find maybe in presbyterian churches um places like that um where this kind of gets us into some complicated waters, but there's this doctrine of double predestination. Basically the teaching there is that um, if God has chosen you to be saved, you're saved. That's it. Um, and you can't actually become unsaved. You can't lose grace. Um, but how do you ever know if you are actually saved? So those are the three different views. Again, one says, uh, the, your initial salvation, you know, your starting point. Yeah, that is completely the work of Jesus, but then you got to cooperate. The other one kind of flips that around and says, um, you know, uh, yes, you're saved by grace completely alone, but you, you have to submit fully completely to Jesus. Um, and uh, then this last view that I presented again was the Calvinist uh, view um, of, of double predestination. Um, and again, there's a whole big topic there, but basically it's the idea that God has chosen some and not others. Um, and so with that, though, there's never no, there's never any certainty that you're among the actual chosen. Um, so that's justification in the world. All right. But now let's talk about justification in the heart. And again, justification, it's a big word. And I get annoyed because sometimes Bible studies will just fly over words like this and not talk about them. But once again, think about justification as your standing before God, right? So uh, are you standing in a good place before God or are you standing in a bad place before God? Are you standing um, before God with the righteous or are you standing with him before the wicked? So that's what we mean by justification. Um, you can also think about it. It, um, in terms of, you know, things like uh, if you've ever had somebody say, how would you justify that action? They're saying, how would you make it right? Um, and so we're talking about how, how Jesus has made us right before the Father, how he has made us stand with the righteous before the Father. So that's, that's a real quick thing on justification. So justification in the world was those things that I just presented, these different views. But now let's talk about justification in the heart, the questions that really keep us up at night. Am I saved or not? And usually this question will kind of work itself out generally in one of two different ways. First way, and I would argue that in our time, in our culture, that this is probably the more popular one. Um, 
have I sinned too much? Have I sinned too much? Um, and the answer to this seems obvious uh, to the longtime Christian, you know, uh, and here we want to rush in and say, no, no, you haven't sinned too much. God's grace is so big. And all those things are true. Uh, I would just say that the, the difficulty comes in when you're asking that question about your own sin, you know, that that's where it really becomes a struggle. I mean, it seems like such a classic, obvious question too much. Um, but you know, when it becomes your sin, then that question can really bother you. Um, uh, and so maybe you have guilt, some big things on your conscience, and that's where this question is coming from. And so when it gets personal, it's, it's tougher. And then the other one, um, you know, again, um, have I done or am I doing enough to be saved? So one question is, have I sinned too much? The other question is, am I doing enough? All right. So, uh, so those are kind of two different angles. And I think those are the ones that really come up a lot. The second question, um, you know, does come up, uh, still pretty frequently in our culture. I would say, again, the first one is the one we encounter more often, but still there's that question, you know, if, if, okay, maybe, um, maybe I, I still, you know, have this persistent feeling that I need to be doing more in my life that even though I believe, and even though I don't think I've done anything really overly wrong. I just have this sense that I haven't really um, gotten into my faith yet um, or something like that. So have I done enough? Um, so let's take these heart questions and apply them to the church's answers. And again, we're going to get to this whole Augsburg confession thing soon. I know you're excited. Calm down. Um, so first of all, uh, again, taking heart questions and apply them to the church answers. So if you're asking, have I sinned too much uh, under the Catholic view? Um, and actually, this is also kind of the Methodist view. It's sometimes amazing to see how, how churches that um, actually, you know, kind of splintered off the Catholic Church have so very much in common uh, with the Catholic Church, but they don't, they don't say things the same way. Um, but they mean kind of the same things. So uh, the Catholic view, and again, kind of the Methodist view would be uh, possibly, uh, the Catholic view would definitely say, then... Um, confess your sins, do penance, and then that might be enough. You know, get back into your cooperating with God, and that might be enough. Um, the Baptist, again, would kind of point the question back to the very foundation of your faith and say, um, perhaps you have sinned too much, but have you, um, or maybe, or you can't sin too much, but maybe you haven't really been saved yet. Maybe you haven't really been saved yet. And what that means is, is that maybe you haven't really started to um, do all the Christian things you need to do and all the Christian things you don't need to do. And if that's not going on, have you ever believed? Have you ever really been saved? Um, and so that question can just be brutal. Um, and then uh, again, uh, Calvinist, um, you know, again, Presbyterian type of churches, uh, works, um, you know, you're not saved by your works. Um, you know, God has chosen you or he hasn't. <laughs> and so, um, the Catholic view and the Baptist view are what we would call synergistic. I promise big words. And here they are synergistic and S Y N E R G I S T I C not center as an S I N N E R. Never mind. Um, if you're still listening to this, God bless you. Um, synergistic. And that term basically means, um, 
that, uh, again, we cooperate with God for our salvation, that, that we do enough, um, that we work. Um, and because of our working um, and because also of God helping us, we're each doing our part in order to be saved. All right. Um, so that's me and God working together. We team up for my own salvation. Um, again, the Calvinist view is what we would call monergistic. In other words, uh, there's one person working like, like the term mono, okay, mono, one person working. That one person is God. But uh, the Calvinist view is monergistic, but with, as the kids would say, no chill. <laughs> and so uh, the teaching is so extremely monergistic um, that, again, it eliminates uh, oftentimes the certainty that we need in order to be saved, um, in order to know that we're saved. Again, God has made his choice. That choice will be revealed in the end. Good luck. Um, and so, all right. Article four. So we're going to look now at the Lutheran um, idea or the actually the biblical, what I would argue is the biblical idea, but um, it is distinctly um, Lutheran. And while we're getting things set up to show you the Augsburg Confession and everything, um, I guess what I would say here is, is that one of my goals in ministry in general is that we actually come to recover um, our sense of distinction, um, that we come to be able to sense and know uh, when we're hearing something different from uh, what the Bible says. And so, um, you know, we're kind of uh, living in a time where we've pushed so hard for Christian unity, um, which is good to push hard for Christian unity, but um, sometimes you can do that so hard that you again, begin to deny the key differences between what you believe and what other people believe. And that can lead you into some pretty dangerous territory. So that's why I outline those different views. It's not necessarily to uh, bash different denominations or anything like that. Um, I, I have family um, that's, I've talked a lot about the Catholic church. I have an uncle who's a Catholic priest. Um, you know, uh, he might, uh, he might want to uh, chase me down and, and, uh, um, kick me or something, um, after hearing the first few minutes of this, but, um, but love him deeply, love my family deeply. Um, and so, but those distinctions are still important and we need to understand them. Um, it's good to know if you're going to a Lutheran church, why you're in the Lutheran church. Um, so article four of justification, this is one of those, this is our opportunity tonight. This is one of the key ways that we can say that, yeah, we, we, we are different. Um, and if you've been to our church, you know that right away. Um, or at least you look up front at me and you're like, well, that guy's at least different. Um, so Article 4 of Justification. Uh, this is what Melanchthon wrote. Again, Melanchthon is Philip, or Melanchthon, Philip Melanchthon is Martin Luther's right-hand man. All right. So, um, and he wrote this document, this Augsburg Confession, um, and submitted it to um, many of the different reformers in those days uh, in Germany. And uh, of course, uh, most of all to Martin Luther and Martin Luther um, had glowing comments about this. He's in full agreement with this document. Um, and so article four says this, also they teach that men cannot be justified before God by their own strength, merits or works, but are freely justified for Christ's sake through faith. When they believe that they are received into favor and their sins are forgiven for Christ's sake, who by his death has made satisfaction for our sins. This faith God imputes for righteousness in his sight. To summarize all that, it's this. 
If you believe, you got everything. If you believe, you have everything. Um, so uh, starting there with the second point, Christ, you know, it says for Christ's sake, through faith, uh, we believe when we believe we are received into favor, our sins are forgiven. And then the third point is that this uh, faith also is the way in which we receive righteousness from God. So God favors us, our sins are forgiven, and we receive righteousness. So through faith and faith alone, we are made right, not by works, not by uh, personality or by our own strength or perseverance, um, but through faith, we are made right. Uh, it, it's actually that simple um, that through faith, we receive um, all of God's good gifts. We will talk about how works in the Christian life come into play. And how important those works that I do are, how, how important my obedience to God is. Um, we're going get to in, get into that later on. But tonight, we're just focusing on how we can know for sure whether or not we're saved. And the question and the answer is, do you believe? Um, if you believe that Jesus is your Lord, who died on the cross for your sins and rose again, and that through that death and resurrection, you receive his grace, then you are in. <laughs> and um, and that's wonderfully beautiful and simple. This faith or this belief is monergistic. Again, God alone does the work. Monergistic, mono, God is the only one acting here because God gives faith. And then through that faith, God also gives favor, forgiveness, and righteousness. All right. So through that faith, another way of saying it is through that faith, you receive full and complete salvation. Okay. Um, and so God is the one who does the work, um, but we have assurance and we can ask ourselves um, again and again and again, you know, am I saved? Well, the question is, do I believe that Jesus is my Lord who died for me, rose again, and that through faith gives me his free grace? Then, yeah, you can have weak faith. You can have strong faith. You can have faith that is struggling, faith that is uh, constantly encumbered by doubts and all that. Um, because if we were to talk about how strong our faith needs to be, well, then uh, we would simply be falling back uh, into works. Because then we would talk about all the things we need to do to build up our faith. And then that puts salvation back on us um, by faith alone um, or by grace alone, through faith alone. We are saved. It's wonderful. And it takes the burden off. So let's take a look here at some important scriptures. Uh, we're going to look at Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26. Romans chapter 3, 26. Again, lately on the website I've been using, Bible Gateway, I've gotten a lot of advertisements that pop up. So, um, Oh, here we go. Uh, it's been my habit to read them um, for no reason. Um, all right. Okay. So I saw one. Okay. Oh, no, it's going too fast. Everyday low prices from Mavis Tire or something like that. So if you're looking for tires, check out Mavis. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26. I can't believe they don't pay me. 
But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or cleansing uh, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So Paul does a lot of work here in these um, few verses that I have just read for you. Um, but again, probably verse 22 is something we could focus on for our topic. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And so Paul is claiming that that's not just, um, um, that's not just a, um, for some, or it's not just for the mightiest of Christians, the Christians who cooperate best after they first tasted forgiveness. Um, it's just simply for all who believe. Um, and then again, he says, there is no distinction. We all begin in the same place. Verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all who believe, likewise, are justified by his grace as a gift. Uh, again, a gift uh, should tell us once more that this is apart from our works through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward uh, as a propitiation or kind of an expunging, cleansing um, uh, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Um, and so it goes on. Um, so again, probably again, verse 22 um, is one of the key things there, righteousness of God through faith for all who believe. But this isn't, um, or this isn't a, a statement that um, should indicate that people are, are suddenly saved in a different way than they were before. Um, so let's take a look then at Genesis. Genesis is the very first book in the entire Bible. It's the oldest of the Old Testament books. Um, and Genesis says this, uh, referring to Abraham, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteous. Abraham was saved by faith alone. The same God saves people in the same ways. Um, and so I, I bring this up to show you that the way in which we have uh, salvation is the same way that anyone has ever received salvation from God, and that is by faith. Um, this verse is again mentioned in the in the prophet Hosea, um, and so uh, and there's also many other places that we can look to in the Old Testament um, that tell us that we are saved apart from works. Whether we talk about those works in terms of demonstrating we are fully submitted to Jesus. Um, or whether we're talking about this works in terms of cooperating uh, with Jesus for our salvation. Um, we are saved apart from any works at all. This is completely God's doing. Uh, again, this is monergism, God alone doing the work, uh, but it's monergism with assurance. So now let's take a look at um, the Augsburg Confession. We're going to get to that part where we see here really good defense um, yes, against different teachings in the world, but also against these different ideas that try to creep into our heart from our sinful nature that sort of uproot our justification, our salvation. These are the doubts, the questions that we ask. 
you know, am I really saved? How can I be sure? Have I done enough? Am I doing enough? Could I ever do enough? Um, and so uh, we're going to read here a, a kind of a long-ish quote from Philip Melanchthon. Again, this is the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, a defense uh, of the Augsburg Confession. Uh, we should not hear um, how lately it is becoming fashionable. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, sorry about that. Here we go. Uh, faith does not justify or save because it is a good work in itself, but only because it accepts the promised mercy. We've got a lengthier quote coming. Sorry. Um, so that's just a real short one. For faith does not justify or save because it is a work in itself, but only because it accepts the promised mercy. All right. So uh, Philip Melanchthon there is talking about how, again, we have a tendency to even make faith into a work. We talked about that a little bit already, so I won't be long here. But again, this is the idea that we're constantly trying to strengthen uh, our faith, trying to check our faith's temperature, um, trying to do everything we can um, to make sure that we have enough faith. Um, and so I'm saying that, again, faith isn't a work. Uh, it is a gift from God. And only that, um, but it's just accepting the promised mercy from Jesus Christ. All right. So faith believes in Jesus. Um, all right. So uh, how does faith actually bring salvation? Here's the lengthier quote I referred to earlier. Apologize for my confusion there. Um, all right. So first, forgiveness of sins is the same as justification. So what Melanchthon is talking about is that you don't, through faith, um, uh, come to believe in Jesus and then later come to receive his salvation, okay? Um, so when you are forgiven of your sins, which happens the moment you believe, you also receive salvation. Wherever there's forgiveness, Martin Luther writes, wherever there's forgiveness, life and salvation follow. These are always a package deal. Again, in that concept I was talking about earlier about cooperating with God's grace, it had separated these things so that, yeah, you might have forgiveness, but you don't have salvation yet. So you got to keep working. All right. Um, so here Melanchthon is saying, no, whenever you believe, you get the whole thing. You get all so you get all the salvation, right? You get all the forgiveness. You get all the righteousness of Jesus. It's given to you all through faith. So first forgiveness of sins is the same as justification. He cites Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Next, he says, we obtain the forgiveness of sins only by faith in Christ, not through love or because of love or works, though love does follow faith. So again, there was another teaching out there that, um, again, that in each person's heart, there was love for God and, and God recognized that. And then you had to, and give you faith and forgiveness. And then you had to kindle that work into a big old roaring bonfire so that you really love God and, uh, to get salvation. See how I keep saying the word enough. The funny thing is, is that in all these teachings enough is never defined. But when we look at what scripture says and what the reformers are trying to teach us from scripture, we see that it's not a question of enough, uh, as in we have to measure our own works. Again, it's simply faith. Um, so therefore, we are justified by faith alone. He continues. We're justified by faith alone. Justification being understood as making an unrighteous man righteous 
correcting his regeneration. So, uh, again, faith makes a person righteous. Faith in God is the way in which we receive righteousness. We don't have righteousness in us. We don't build that up. We receive that also as a gift from God. Um, so now let's look at uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Romans chapter 5, verse 2 says this. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Okay, so uh, a couple of things I want to point out here. First of all, um, that grace then is, is, is a place in which we stand, right? Uh, so into this grace in which we stand. So it's not something that um, is meant to launch us toward salvation, but grace is a state that we live under. It's a state that we live within, um, that when God has given you his grace, he says, ah, there's my favorite child, wherever that favorite child is, is and whatever that favorite child is doing, um, when we have received grace, we stand in it. It's a place where we live. Uh, um also uh, here uh, Paul writes that we have through Christ, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace. So how do we access Jesus? We access him by faith. It doesn't say you can't get to Jesus until you've fully surrendered your life over to him. No, um, it says by faith um, uh, that we come to access Jesus. All right. And so um, this is what we do. This is our shield and our defense scripture. Um, we go back to passages like this when those doubts come in, when we start to question, am I really saved? Uh, am I believing enough? Am I doing enough? Well, the answer is yes. Um, but actually, I'm sorry. The answer is no, you can't ever do these things. Uh, I got distracted there. No, you can't ever do these things, but um, we go back to Christ, Christ who has done it all. All right. And so when we're troubled with our faith, when our, when it seems really, really heavy, when it seems like our guilt is just really crushing us, um, we don't look within and try to check and see, you know, if we believed enough, believed hard enough or worked enough, uh, done enough good works, um, or tried hard enough to obey. Instead, we go back to Jesus. Um, the place in which we stand is always before the cross of Jesus. This is why um, you know you're hearing a good sermon when it takes you to the cross of Jesus um, every time out. Um, and so, uh, and to be honest, there are times where I think, man, I really should have brought in the cross even more. Um, and um, it's, it's hard to always do well, but uh when you're looking for reassurance and salvation, you can find it nowhere else um, but at the cross of Jesus. And so this is what we ought to be looking for um, uh, as we read scripture, as we uh, hear messages and sermons and whatnot. Uh, take me to the cross, Pastor. Um, okay. So, again, um, one, one reason why we teach so strongly against mixing in our good works or mixing in the strength of our faith and our surrender um, uh, into our salvation is that it actually kind of works like this. It becomes an insult to Jesus 
let me put it in these terms. You go over to somebody's house and you are their honored guest, right? And um, everyone is excited that you're there and you received a very gracious invitation to come over. And when you get there, the host of the party calls everyone to a quiet and they say, I have a gift for you, right? No matter what the gift is, it would be rude to say, oh, I can't take this from you. I can't accept this. I mean, you might kind of do that um, to, uh, you know, you kind of reject maybe a couple of times, but on the third time you accept it, but you know, all along you're going to accept it because to, to hand the gift back to the host is an insult, right? Um, likewise, whenever we come uh, before Jesus, always trying to bring him our good works to say, have I done enough yet, Lord? Um, we despise the cross of Jesus. Um, he died for our sins. He gave it all for our sins. He surrendered his life to us, um, not the other way around. And so then um, uh, to be mixing in our, you know, uh, how strong our faith is or how much we've done is an insult to the man who did it all for you, who died for you. Um, another way of looking at it would be if you're at that party, the host uh, hands you a gift and um, he says, here you go. And you say, you know what? Uh, before I open this, I've got this really nice bow and this wrapping paper that would make this gift look really nice first. <laughs> you wouldn't take somebody's gift and wrap it up yourself because you don't like how it's packaged, right? Or how be, or just to fulfill some sense that you have that you need to contribute to everything, right? So that would also be really rude and very bizarre. Um, and so also it is, again, with the grace of Jesus Christ. Um, we're going to wrap up here real quick. We're going to look, though, at um, uh, um, from uh, another quote from the, Augsburg, from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Uh, again, this is Philip Melanchthon writing. He says, therefore, Paul says in Galatians 3.22, God consigned all things to sin, that what was promised to faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Here he denies us any merit, for he says that all are guilty and consigned to sin. Then he adds that the promise of the forgiveness of sins and justification is a gift. I pay attention to this. And further, that the promise can be accepted by faith based upon the nature of a promise. This is Paul's chief argument, which he repeats. Nothing, uh, one, can, nothing one can devise or imagine will refute Paul's argument. Um, so in other words, Melanchthon is saying, just look at what the Apostle Paul has written. Look at what he has written. Um, again, how he describes faith, he describes, or how he describes justification. I'm sorry, he describes it as a gift. He describes it so it's free of any works. He describes it as a promise, and a promise can only be received by faith. If I were to say something like, um, "Honey, I promise to wash the dishes," um, I haven't washed the dishes yet. But when she says, "I believe you." She and, and not sarcastically, um, she is saying that um, I have received your promise by faith. Right. Um, and so that's the only way a promise can be received. So what is all this business about uh, works? What is all this business about um, making your faith strong enough um, or surrendering enough before you can receive mercy? It doesn't that idea isn't there in Scripture. 
What is there is the free gift of Jesus Christ. So again, ultimately, as we wrap up tonight, the answer to these questions that keep us up at night, um, have I sinned too much or am I doing enough? Um, is Christ. That's it. That's the answer. The answer is Christ. So faith doesn't lead us to look within. Faith clings to Christ alone. This is our shield and our defense. This is why we talk about being saved by grace alone through faith alone. Um, I keep mixing that up tonight. Wow. Being saved um, by grace through faith. Yeah. Um, because we need to forsake our own effort early, and that takes a lifetime to learn. It really does. Um, and so uh, we need to com learn to completely push our works aside and look only at Christ. And, and that's what faith does. Faith is constantly pulling us towards Jesus. In those moments where you're wrestling and wondering whether you're saved and you fold your hands and you start to pray, that's faith. Uh, in those moments where you go to church, not feeling like you should go to church, but you're thinking like, I need to hear something today. That's because the spirit is calling you towards Jesus. That is faith. Um, when you're beset by doubts, but you keep asking questions and you hang in there in spite of your own reason, because there's something in you that feels weak, but also seems deeper than your doubts. That's faith. Um, and so faith points us to Christ. And so the answer is him. He's our shield and our very great reward. So thank you for uh, listening this evening. If you have any questions, um, please uh, type them into the comments section. Uh, you can also um, uh, please uh, help us out uh, and uh, share this. You can share the podcast uh, when that comes out. Um, you can share the video also um, after that process is on YouTube. Uh, please help us to get the word out. Um, and if you haven't subscribed to our channel, uh, please do. I do see that we've gotten maybe one or two new subscribers this week. So um, if, if you're watching this and that's you, thank you very much. Um, again, that, that helps us. Um, we have a goal of 100 subscribers. Uh, some things will happen when we get to that point that will make it even easier to share our videos. Um, so please uh, help us with that as well. Um, and uh, thank you again. Uh, God's blessings and, and have a good night.